0: talk i'm bianca and i'm gianna gianna we've made it 1500 miles from where we started APTHQ. wow i miss hq i mean my apartment could be the new hq or hq could just be you know wor- hq is wherever
1: we are
0: yeah hq is like chromatica you know, Ooh, APTHQ it exists is, in our
1: subconscious. <laughs> is, nothing we do here is real? <laughs> you know,
0: art is such an experience. APTHQ is thus an experience based place. <laughs> that's that kind of like art bs you guys hear about (laughs) (laughs) yeah in 10 years you're probably going to read like a published article i wrote about some bullshit apthq
1: (laughs) art Art is everywhere which is everywhere but you know it's working for us for now yeah so speaking of art pop talk headquarters a lot is going on at the hq right now i know so much is happening at the hq
0: we're just a podcast on the go you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) is <laughs> unwell at the moment. I'm sorry. Shall, shall we share with the class where the HQ has moved to at the yes, current moment? Yes, please share with the class. So we came to Pennsylvania to check on the apartment, and then we came to Delaware to hang out with the family and... Just kind of spend some quality family time together. So today we are in one of our cousin's old bedrooms. And uh, the other day we were watching this movie on Netflix called... Carrie, Carrie Prim?
0: Or no, it starts with
1: a P. It's like Carrie... That's what Pil- they... Carrie Pillsby. Okay, I was so far off. What did you say? Prim. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's Carrie Pillsby is okay. what it is. But the guy who plays Hook... In Once Upon a Time is in this movie. And our cousin, Juliana, was like, oh, who's that guy? And then like, oh, yeah, he's Hook from Once Upon a Time. And we're in her bedroom and I look over and there's like a magnet of him that I just noticed. And anyways, I'm unwell. He looks good. He does. He looked better in Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I heard it here first. So, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. hot take on the cast. Hot take of <laughs> of once upon a time, <laughs> <And> Carrie <Pillsby. laughs> So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this is some garbage.
0: It's <laughs> no, not garbage. Anyway, before we get into today's topic, we have some housekeeping notes for you all. I feel so official now that we can say we have housekeeping to attend to so we have some new merch for you guys merch 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 merch, 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 merch.
1: can we get josh to record <gasps> one of those for us when we have new merch announcements should we ask josh if he knows who rihanna oh, is God. on josh thoughts maybe he didn't know who Lizzo was and
0: yeah I that's probably know. a good idea we have stickers and magnets that are coming out for you guys they will be available for purchase next Tuesday, July 28th. They are so
1: cute. So freaking cute.
0: They were designed by Sid Hammond, who also designed our logo, and you probably heard her on one of our previous episodes. We've got a sticker four pack. They are vinyl, high gloss stickers. They're so shiny. They're dishwasher safe. And we've got a pop-tart, a strudel, Mr. David from our logo, and then we have Mr. Olivander in his chrome kataka gear. He's just <laughs> so cute. And then we have three magnets you can also get. You can buy these individually or like we said in the pack. So they will be available on our website, artpoptalk.com/slash shop next tuesday the 28th and we will start showing them on our instagram so you can see what they look like too
1: yes so while you're looking at which sticker you would like to possibly purchase you can go ahead and also check out sid's work links can be found to her website and her instagram on her featured artist page correct
0: oh i'm so excited for you guys to see them
1: i hope you like them oh my god i feel like the art pop tarts are going to love them because Good. we stan a tartlet and they stan our pop talk. Wow.
0: The chain. The chain. Uh-huh. <laughs> so as always, I feel like we say this, you know, every episode we that really we're do. we're just so excited for this week's episode, but we are extra excited today. We talked a little bit about her on our Tartlet versus Strudel episode with our PA, Audrey Kaminsky. And today we have joining us the funniest woman we know. Yes, our cousin, Juliana Porro. Jewel, welcome to the show. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you so much, cousin.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I am so happy to be here. Um, I have a lot to talk about, obviously. I'm not sure how I'm going to be funny today when we're talking about Nazis, though.
1: (laughs) You know, just uh, a little bit of light content for you all today. Yeah. So yes, to preface, today we will be talking about the fashion industry and some of its players that overlap with the time of World War II, and we will be discussing the prejudice happening during this time, again, in regards to some fashion icons early on in the 1900s that you probably know.
0: Before we get into all the tea about the fashion industry, Jewel, can you please tell the Art Pop-Tarts a little bit about yourself, what you do, what your background is, and how you got interested in the arts and fashion? Absolutely. Well, I've always loved fashion and specifically costume design, so...
2: Fun fact, costume history is actually the term for fashion history. It doesn't only refer to film or theater costumes. <laughs> so I studied fashion merchandising and costume history at the University of Delaware. And after that, I worked at headquarters for a few retailers, uh, like David's Bridal and Five Below. Right now, I live in Baltimore
1: with my boyfriend, Matt. you. Mm, so I love Matt. Hi, Matthew. Hi Matt. Hi, Matt. Matt, do you listen to Art Pop Talk?
2: Yes. <laughs> I do. He does. He does. Um, and so I work as a marketer down there for an awesome company called Hungry Harvest. You might have seen us on Shark Tank. It's not fashion, but it's a socially conscious company that reduces waste and hunger. Um, and here's a Lady Gaga connection for you guys because I know we're all love little to monsters see it. here. Of course. Lady Gaga, who created the Born This Way Foundation, is mm-hmm. coming out with a book in September called Channel Kindness. And hungry harvest is getting its own chapter, uh, and I helped pick the photos for it. Wow! wow. Just want that to be out there. You know, what I did take the
1: photos. Was thinking is that both are aren't both our birthdays in September? Isn't your birthday October? Damn it! Is I'm it, it Alex's birthday? Mm-hmm. Uh, I always forget which cousin of mine is born in September. But around that time, I feel like she's releasing this book. Like for yes. our birthday, you know what I mean?
0: Yes. And the first time we saw Lady Gaga, we were all together. Love it. We went to Dallas to go see.
1: Oh God, we will. Speaking of, we will be talking about that Dallas trip later on. But we absolutely love to see it, and we are really happy to see you working for a company that is just fulfilling a need and doing good work in this world. So, aside from work, we would love for you to share how you are still staying involved in the fashion industry just independently.
2: Sure. So, although fashion's not my main job anymore, I did start a vintage jewelry shop with my friend called Saturn Vintage. So, that's been really fun.
0: Uh, you should all check us out on Etsy when you can. I've gotten some really good stuff from uh, Saturn Vintage. Yes. I know I love it. So, I love your shop and it's always really fun when we are together. I love when we go into a store and you kind of look at things and seeing your eye for fashion and your eye for jewelry and how you market that in new ways is just really interesting for me to watch aside from watching my cool cousin grow her business. So where did the inspiration for Saturn Vintage come from? So, my friend Abby
2: and I, we both worked at the University of Delaware, the costume history collection, and we both always loved vintage finds. So, a couple years ago, we started Saturn Vintage to revamp old jewelry for a younger demographic. It's really fun, but sometimes it's a little bittersweet when you find a really awesome piece and then you have to let it go and you never see it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so.
1: Well, yay, Saturn Vintage, we love it. So, today's Art Pop Talk. will revolve around the famous fashion designer Coco Chanel and her history as a Nazi agent, her stardom in the fashion world, and her relationship with other well-known artists. And we'll share some other controversies and some tea in regards to her and the fashion industry starting in the early 1900s through World War II and right kind of around into the 1960s right up until Chanel's death.
0: Wow. This is, I feel like, has been in the works for, for a little so bit. so long. And, well, really, just like in the queue, someone told me that Chanel was a Nazi, and I immediately texted Juliana. I was like, did you guys know okay. about this? I guess I feel like the
1: queue this has been going on forever, you know?
0: Yeah, truly. So, Jewel, do you want to start us off here?
2: Yes. Here's the tea on Nazi agent F7124, codename Westminster, otherwise known as Coco Chanel. Uh, Dun, dun, dun.
1: uh,
2: (laughs) Dun, dun, Honestly. (laughs) So just a note, most of this information comes from the book Sleeping with the Enemy Coco Chanel Secret War" by Hal Vaughn. So for those of you who don't know, Coco Chanel was born Gabrielle Chanel. And she's one of the world's most famous fashion designers. She made a splash in Paris with her debut in 1915 by foregoing the corseted aesthetic that was prevalent in fashion at the time in favor of what she described as expensive simplicity. That was inspired by menswear and consisted of clean lines and tubular shapes that draped over the body rather than accentuate the curves chanel contributed to the flapper craze of the 1920s and was seen as inventing the little black dress or lbd (laughs) this was met with mixed reviews by fashion critics one said at the time quote women were no longer to exist all that's left are the boys created by chanel speaking of boys around this time coco was running in creative circles with fellas
0: that you guys know like Uh. picasso and dolly Bunch of strudels. Yeah, what a shocker. You know, I guess I was more surprised about the Dali part. So yeah. now I feel like that I'm we're in this rabbit hole. You know, I always suspected Picasso, but Right. Honestly, I'm gonna say something controversial. Ooh. I think Dali's a little
1: overrated. We were talking about surrealism with our uncle, actually, yeah. because his old neighbor used to photograph Salvador Dali. Yes. Which is really interesting. I think that feminism and surrealism is so interesting and there are today feminist surrealist artists that it's just so interesting. Mm-hmm. And although, again, we have to talk about Dali, we have to talk about surrealism, we get it. Yeah, There's so much more to it. Right. Anyways, just going back to Chanel, coming from someone outside of the industry, I do find this really interesting because when I think of even a contemporary Chanel clothing brand. I do think of women's attire as always going to have something that acts as a visual accent or symbol of femininity. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Something like pearls, for example, or I think of that classic tweed women's suit with a pencil skirt. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting that herself and her designs became popular because they broke gendered normative ways of dressing for the time. Yeah something to think about. I wanted to share a little story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So five or six years ago, Jewel and our aunt came to Oklahoma and we took a trip to Dallas and ended up going to the Dallas Museum of Art. And that's actually when we went to go see Lady Gaga as well. So Mm -hmm. a lot happened on this trip. So at this museum, the DMA, there is a partial reconstruction of the Villa La Pazza, which was an original building built in the south of France for Coco Chanel in 1927. At the time, we just saw this exhibition or this, you know, partial installation and moved on and when we were brainstorming this topic I was like wait a minute guys didn't we see her house or something somewhere at some point and sure enough there is quite a bit of information about this recreation of the Villa La plaza because it's one of their most visited exhibitions which is also super interesting. Yeah
0: that's really fascinating that the DMA I mean is a huge art museum and mm-hmm. one of their most visited exhibitions is about freaking Coco Chanel. I
1: know. And it's not a huge space, but when you walk into a space that is clearly a, a recreation of something, right. not typical museum walls, right? it's I think prone to draw attention. Yeah. So. So, and the reason why this special installation is there is because the DMA received a large donation of 1,400 European objects and artworks from the Wendy and Emery Reeves Foundation in the 80s. And the Reeves lived in La Paza after Chanel in the 50s and obtained a lot of the items that once belonged to Chanel, hence their Historical significance. So, in regards to the collection, this donation came with specific stipulations on how the donors and this foundation would like the art to be displayed. And this is to say that this is not uncommon with donations, especially very large and de- generous donations, because donors want to make sure and want control over when their name and donated objects are displayed. Right. So, this collection however, came with this, you know, unique agreement where they were only going to be donating their collection to a museum that would recreate a part of this villa. Mm -hmm. And to my knowledge, and I actually credit my aunt for remembering this, when speaking with some of the docents at the museum, we learned that the DMA was the only museum who agreed. Interessant. So that's why you got this villa in Dallas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So in learning about the Reeves, Jewel, I know you experienced the same thing, just finding one layer after another. The story just kept going and going, but I thought it was really important to talk about who Emery Reeves was, and he is known for founding a publishing company called the Corporation Publishing Service in 1933, which was known for its strong anti-Nazi or anti-fascism stance. And in 1937, he ended up befriending Winston Churchill a name that will come up in a little bit again, and became his literary agent. And even after the war, Reeves was able to purchase the right to publish some of Churchill's war memoirs, even outside of the UK. It's fascinating. So it's incredibly interesting and important to point out that the Reeves were against the Nazi party, and this company was publicly speaking out against the nazi party and somehow they ended up living in the house that once belonged to nazi agent f7124
0: this is wild it is so wild you know what i was thinking that i feel like things with chanel's face on it should now you know be called f7124 (laughs) you know instead yeah instead of chanel Yeah, yeah So this whole DMA aspect is so interesting, but in starting this conversation about an object, even a large object like a villa or a home, once again we have a conversation about how to appreciate the object and separate it from the artist or from its problematic pasts and associations. So once things hopefully open up again i'm going to be really interested in going back to the dma and to think about this collection differently and hopefully to see if any acknowledgements have been made about chanel's nazi association because i do think that there is a way for a major museum like the dallas museum of art To inform its guests about Chanel's Nazi allyship while appreciating the beautiful gift of the donors. And like Gianna said, Mm -hmm. the donors took a very strong anti Nazi stance with their type of publication, their type of platform. So, whenever there are donors, this inevitably comes up and things get much more complicated when you add that layer of donorship to a major museum or any museum, really. But I think that there is a way to be talking about this moving forward yeah
1: absolutely and now that we have all this information there are a couple things that we can consider now one being Reeves might not have known Chanel worked with the Nazi party as she was never formally charged and her ass was never thrown in jail <laughs> and we know she paid off quite a few German officers to basically keep them quiet it's not even clear to me if the Reeves and Chanel actually ever met I really have no clue it almost seems just a bit of a ironic coincidence yeah you know who knows mm-hmm. maybe the DMA knows I don't know But the other thing we have to go back and consider and ask is, is the DMA having discussions about this part of Chanel's history? And to my current understanding and based off my prior visit, which again, was a while ago, I'm not sure that they are. Now, if I was able to go see the exhibition again, that would have been optimal before we recorded this episode. But of course, in times of COVID, that's a bit challenging at the moment. Right. (laughs) Because being able to read those labels again and and see, okay, like, how much are they talking about Chanel, or how much are they talking about the Reeves, or are they not really talking about either, and are they just talking about these European objects? Mm -hmm. That is not entirely clear to me because I'm having to go back in my brain from five years ago. Right. But we do know and we do understand now why this special exhibit is there, and we know the stipulations of the donation, which the museum has has abided by so now the museum has owned these objects for quite a hot minute so what a fantastic way to start a conversation about this complex story and historical figure i think it could be such a useful tool from a curatorial standpoint in helping people learn more about chanel
0: yeah one thousand percent i think it's all about being open and honest and i think that People who work in the art world know that the world is complicated and mm-hmm. these objects come from problematic pasts and I we've said this before but I'll say it again the art world and the world in general is not free of problematic or bad people and I think there's a way to talk about those associations while accepting great Donations to talk about objects Mm -hmm. and history. I mean, it's important to talk about these things, even if there are terrible horrors and tragedies associated with that. So I I really am excited to find a productive way to talk about something like this. And again, I hope that when things kind of quote unquote go back to normal or we're able to go back to Dallas, I would love to speak with some people at the Dallas Museum of Art and really dive into this a little bit more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I was also curious, again, in thinking from five years ago and looking at images of this space, Mm -hmm. the donation in total was this 1,400 objects. And I don't think they pack all those 1400 objects you know and display them all at once so i'm also wondering okay they have this permanent installation here this reconstructed villa how are those other objects let's say in you know some kind of vault or are they able to show those works in different spaces right. and then cater those conversations that we want so right. there's so much to unpack there still there's so much more to learn but i just think it's completely fascinating
0: yeah one thousand percent so i think we are going to take a little break and when we get back we are going to be hearing more from juliana about chanel
1: back everybody hope you had a nice little break took some shots because that's what we did <laughs> <laughs> you can't not take a shot when you're recording a podcast with your family yeah guys yeah, back, back yeah. Me up this here. is a
0: bit we've been <laughs> having like cocktail after cocktail we have you know i feel like every day we've been here aunt Rosella's like Oh, four o'clock happy hour! Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, what's on the menu for today? It's yeah. so nice. Feel like I'm being spoiled. Exactly. So if this starts to sound like drunk history, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but we actually want to do that. Gianna and I have talked about doing kind of a, a drunk history, drunk art history mm-hmm. type segment. Yeah, I feel like that'd be.
1: Just amazing.
0: Yeah. So what is that on? History channel? Comedy Central. Oh. Comedy Central. <laughs> <Drug> <laughs> History, <laughs> on History Channel. I don't, <laughs> no. don't think so. Okay, we didn't grow up with cable. I don't know. We didn't. But you know, okay, whatever network. I'll take any network.
1: Yeah. You know, if someone from a network any, is listening. Which of course they are. Right. <laughs> oh god. All right. <laughs> so we are going to pick it back up up jewel let's talk about chanel how she got into the fashion industry right so in order to delve into
2: chanel's nazi collaboration we should probably discuss how she got to that point right at the age of 12 chanel was sent to live in a convent after her mother died and her father could no longer take care of her the convent instilled in her a fear and hatred of jews that would stay with her her whole life her friend and Marie Claire editor-in-chief, Marcel Heydrich, said, quote, Chanel's anti-Semitism was not only verbal, but passionate, demoted, and often embarrassing. Like all of the children of her age, she had studied the catechism and hadn't the Jews crucified Jesus, end quote. So how does a poor ward of the church get her start in fashion? <laughs> well, after leaving the convent, Chanel was put to work as a seamstress, and in her spare time, she sang at a cafe. It was there that she got the name Coco, which was either a name taken from a song she used to sing or shorthand for the French word coquette, meaning kept woman. The kept woman part is pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> At the cafe, she met an ex-calvary officer named Balsan, who took her Balsan. to... Balsan. Balsan. That's his last name. I don't know what his first name is. <laughs> or I couldn't pronounce it, and that's why I didn't it. <laughs> He took her to his estate. Um, he taught her the finer things in life, like... About Nazis. <laughs> we'll get to that. No. I The pictures I saw in this book, they were riding horses, they were wearing silk mm. robes, they were posing for photos, yeah. so that's all I got from that. <laughs> um, there, he introduced her to his friend, who would be her future lover, Arthur Kappel. Kappel saw, Ch- saw Chanel's talent and funded her hat-making business and soon her fashion boutiques. They were together for eleven years and continued an affair even after he got married and had a kid, up until his death in a car accident.
1: Okay, this is what we were talking about earlier, because I was curious if they got together even before he was married, why didn't he marry her? But then they she con- was a Nazi. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they continued this relationship and he like funded her business. Chanel was a sugar baby. She was, and Kappel was her sugar daddy. Wow. Yeah. I would respect the hustle if she wasn't a Nazi. Yeah, right. He didn't
2: want to marry his sugar baby. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think she was good enough for him status-wise. That's
0: very interesting. Very interesting. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Chanel was pretty broken up about it after he died. Um, She said 25... (laughs) she lost her
0: sugar daddy. She lost her income. (laughs) Right, right.
2: She said to her biographer 25 years later when she was in Switzerland... In losing capital, I lost everything. What followed was not a life of happiness, I have to say. Hmm. Hmm. It's rough. Must, yeah, that must be (laughs) rough. (laughs) I would be sad if I lost my sugar daddy. (laughs) A bit later, Chanel had grown into an established fashion brand, and her perfume, Chanel No. 5, was gaining praise and attention in Paris. In 1922, she partnered with the Wartheimers, who were a prominent Jewish family. At this time, her perfume, Chanel Number 5, had been gaining <laughs> praise and attention in Paris. It was marketed towards the liberated young woman, which, I don't know if you guys think this,
0: but I don't think it smells like a young woman anymore. Yeah. No,
1: it smells like Nona.
0: Yeah. It does. You know, I don't even know that I know anyone in my life that is like... Ooh, Chanel number five, you know? Like, Ooh. I.
1: <laughs> she whipped out the French accent. Love it. We. Oui. Oui. Oui.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I don't know anyone that's crazy about that scent. I Maybe I know. just don't know Richard. You know what about. I was
1: thinking about, too? If Nona knew Chanel was a Nazi, I don't oh, think yeah. she would not be wearing that perfume because our grandma literally had to leave her city and her city was bombed, but actually by American.
0: Yeah, it was just, I mean, her rushed.
1: life was totally destroyed just, by the war. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's a big no no. Sorry, Nona.
2: Yeah, and the Nazis took over her house and casino. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. she
1: was a chef for one or she was a cook for one. Yeah, right. in her own
0: house. Oh, I wish Nona, do you think Nona would come on our podcast? <laughs> she <laughs> would. Do you think she would? Yeah. I saw the squirrel in the back of the yard. <laughs> I saw the squirrel in the back of the yard. <laughs> yeah, uh, our family likes to put on Nona's Italian accent. For, uh-huh. <laughs> he's so hot. <laughs> it's so hot.
2: <laughs> so all right, back to Chanel, guys. Back to
0: Chanel. Back to Chanel. So in
2: 1924, she made an agreement with the Wartheimer brothers, Pierre and Paul, that they would make, market, and distribute her perfume and create a corporation called Parfum Chanel. Is that how you pronounce it? Parfums?
0: Yeah, Parfum, I think.
2: Parfum Chanel. So, now, Chanel was not a good businesswoman at all.
1: (laughs) That's why she needed a sugar Right, Exactly. It it all adds up. Uh,
2: She hired the Wertheimer's lawyer to look at the contract on her behalf. So, they both had the same lawyer, which, hello, conflict of interest much? Right. Right. Hire your own damn lawyer. It's not that hard. Um, Because of this, Chanel would end up receiving only 10% of the stock from the arrangement. And in later years, this would anger Chanel and fueled her anti-Semitic feelings.
1: It's her own fault. Absolutely. Like, if yeah. that lawyer was, hi- like, already hired by their client, you know, an entrusted that family and that lawyer relationship, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Like, Lawyers not work it right. for one person; right. they don't work for both teams. Like this, right. They've been working with this family for years. Like, why would they be like, ah, oh, yeah, Chanel? Now I'll help you. Like, right? What? Yeah, that's only her own fault.
0: So, leading up to World
2: War II, Chanel shacks up with this dirt person, <laughs> Paul Irib. I guess that's how you pronounce his name. It, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I read I <laughs> She completely finances his violent, ultra-nationalist weekly called La Temoin. Irieb is an mm-hmm. artist who, in these newsletters, frequently portrays Chanel and Hitler as victims and saviors, while Jewish people are portrayed as the
1: villain. And Joel was showing me this artwork, air quotes. And in this picture of Hitler holding Chanel, she's also like naked in this oh, like God. illustration too. It's super weird and it's just disgusting. Well, there's good news there. He eventually dies.
0: Um,
2: He was playing tennis, and he just keeled over. Um, That's all there is to say about that. Um, So he died at the start of World War II in the late 1930s, and so that kind of leads us up into the war. Um, So here we are. Hitler's army has defeated and occupied France, and Chanel is in a romantic relationship with a Nazi spy. Barons Hans Gunther von Dinklage, and his name was Spatz for short, which means Sparrow in German. Spatz. That's what his name was. (laughs) (laughs) So it was actually not known how these two met. Um, No one can ever say for sure, but their relationship was strong enough that Dinklage was, one, able to keep Chanel's room at the Hotel Ritz even after it had been transformed into a makeshift headquarters for the German army, and two, help Chanel make connections with his fellow Nazis in an attempt to secure the release of her nephew, Andrew Palas, who was a French soldier that was captured in 1940 and interned in a German
1: prison camp. So, like, what's the reason or, or, or why was she involved or how did they let her be involved in working with these German soldiers and becoming... A, a spy for the Nazi party like like why <laughs> that's a great question
2: so the fact that chanel knew a lot of ho- high profile people which included a very close relationship with winston churchill who you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. uh that was super enticing to the germans there's a few reasons that chanel worked with them um her nephew who who was in the german camp was mm-hmm. sick with tuberculosis so she needed to act quickly to get him out of prison Another reason was her hatred and distrust of the Jews. And finally, she saw this as an opportunity to get control of her perfume company back, since the Germans had introduced what's known as the Aryanization of Jewish property, where they would take Jewish property and businesses and turn them over to non Jewish citizens. Garbage. Garbage. Awful. Uh Chanel was actually never able to do this because the Wertheimers escaped to New York before shit got crazy. Yeah, he yeah. In nineteen forty one, Chanel goes on a mission to Madrid with an officer named Baron Louis von something. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me say that over. Baron Louis de Fouveland. Uh the mission was to use Chanel's connections to obtain political information from politicians living in Spain, including British diplomat Brian Wallace. It's not known if this mission really made a significant difference either way, but Mm -hmm. the Germans were impressed enough for her to go on another mission later on. It's also interesting to note that this officer is described in the book as being openly gay, which kind of shocked me because, of course, in addition to Jews, homosexuals were also sent to the concentration camps and killed. So... I don't know how there's an openly gay Nazi that everyone knows about. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that just goes to show or an example of people in power getting to do whatever they want while oppressing people with no kind of justification at all. Right. You know, it doesn't make sense because that war didn't make sense, mm-hmm. you know?
2: Absolutely. Chanel was a known homophobe, which makes things even weirder because the two, you know, linked mm-hmm. up for this mission. She once said, homosexuals, I have seen young women ruined by these awful queers. Drugs, divorce, and scandal. They will use any means to destroy a competitor and to wreak vengeance on a woman. The queers want to be women. So definitely kind of interesting that these two would team up.
0: Yeah. I just... Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't even uh, know what to say about that. I know. And it's so frustrating to see this woman... I mean, saying things like that openly at the time, like, how has none of this... Also,
1: this woman that is kind of revered in the fashion industry, and we were talking about this book that, like, stores have sold, that Anthropology has sold, Mm -hmm. where it's quoting all these famous phrases from Chanel, and yeah did you D- quote dis- this dis- display- did you did you quote her, her homophobia in right. this book but I mean... it's like they display her as some kind of feminist icon and right feminist icons don't stand up for that bullshit no Ugh.
2: what's thought to be her final mission for the germans in 1943 chanel was tasked along with her lover dinklage with oper- operation modelhut, which just means model hat i don't know mm-hmm. why Um, So, in this mission, she was sought to convince the British ambassador to Spain, Sir Hamill Hoare, a friend of Winston Churchill, about a possible German surrender once the war was leaning towards an Allied victory. Her duty was to act as a messenger to Churchill to prove that some of the Third Reich attempted peace with the Allies. This mission ultimately failed, as a friend who was with Chanel at the time, Vera Lombardi, denounced Chanel and the others to the British Embassy as Nazi spies as soon as they arrived. Mm -hmm. It's worth noting that Lombardi says she, she thought they were in Madrid to potentially establish Chanel Couture in Spain, But this reasoning has come under suspicion.
0: Mm -mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'm also curious, I guess, about all this movement during the war and promoting your brand or creating a new branch of your brand, like in the middle of World War II. Just seems like how, I mean, I don't know how is that. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it seems, it may have seemed suspicious to me, but I don't know, like, that people if you were well off, like Chanel could kind of get away with doing whatever Mm -hmm. you wanted and weren't really put in the center of that. Also Um, just being able to travel like that. Right. It seems very interesting to be able to go back and forth. Mm -hmm.
2: And another interesting thing about that is that she said that she was putting her fashion brand and her fashion boutiques on hold during World War II. Mm -hmm. So why would she be in Spain Trying to,
1: right. you know, do Yeah, that. she's not so good a spy. I'm not too sure. Yeah, <laughs> right. Absolutely.
2: So skip ahead a couple years. The Axis powers have been defeated and France is liberated. Two weeks later, Chanel is arrested and questioned for her collaboration with the Germans. So like you said, she was never thrown in jail. So <laughs> I, she didn't,
1: was... I didn't know. We were having a hard time, or I guess I should say I was having a hard time figuring out if the word was like convicted or prosecuted. And so I was just like... Her ass was never thrown in jail. The the
0: important thing to know is her ass was never thrown in jail. Exactly. That that is
1: the um, technical (laughs) yeah.
2: She was technically brought in and rested for questioning, but she was only held for a little bit. She denies everything, and thanks to her close ties to Winston Churchill, she's released shortly after. However, in a little bit later, she's tipped off that the investigation is not done with her just yet, and she leaves Switzerland... hours later wow um and she mostly lives in switzerland for the rest of her life on and off she does return to france um for her fashion uh shows but she you know lives Mm -hmm. and dies in switzerland from there she buys the silence of her collaborators and nothing about her time during the war is really released to the public until french intelligence files were declassified in 2011 her Nazi boy toy, Dinklage, mm-hmm. evades prosecution as well and eventually meets up with her in Switzerland. And for unknown reasons, they break up, but she continued to support him until she oh, died in God.
1: 1971. What the hell? Yeah, this is all...
0: <laughs> and also, for her to be able to even, even visit France and even continue her business, to me, is just unbelievable. So, Jewel, wh- like, how is this possible? What what was her next move how was she able to even continue building the brand that we see today
1: especially in france because didn't you tell me she became like really outspoken and was saying stuff like oh like france got what they deserved like we should all been backing you know the germans this whole time
2: yeah she said that at the ritz at a dinner party she loved the ritz so she was always there you know people in france were trying to find scraps of food in the streets to eat during the war and she was at the Eating God,
1: all this fancy just...
2: food, she said the French got what they deserved. She may have been trying to talk to the Germans and show them that she was on their side, or she may have believed it. Either way, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Trash.
2: After her fashion empire was put on hold during World War II, she slowly begins to get back into designing, and her first post-war show opens in 1954. Her fashions fall a bit flat. One reporter wrote. Quote, everyone had come hoping to find again the atmosphere of the collections that had bowled over Paris in the years gone by. But there is nothing of that left, only mannequins who parade before an audience that cannot bring itself to applaud.
1: Damn. Yeah. I.
2: Yep. <laughs> Surprisingly, Wartheimer and Chanel developed, so I, when I say Wartheimer, it's Pierre Wartheimer, mm-hmm. and Chanel developed this relationship where they both needed each other to succeed. If Chanel did well, so did the perfume, and when the perfume did well, Chanel got that cash money.
0: Because they were still connected, because they fled to New York, and were still, even throughout the war and after the war, were connected and owned that part of the business.
2: Correct. Yep. So he actually goes to Paris and encourages her to keep designing... And they signed a final business deal. Chanel sold the Wertheimers, her fashion company, and all her holdings bearing the Chanel name. And she got a lot of money for that. It's not exactly known how much, but it was a lot. In 1956, Chanel introduced her famous uh talur chanel how do you say that Tailleur Tailleur chanel <laughs> which is the matching tweed jacket and skirt that's well known today i'm sure everyone has seen at least someone wearing it mm-hmm. um in fact the design was worn by jackie kennedy on the day jfk was assassinated in dallas so it's a callback to our dallas oh drink. my gosh wow. yeah yeah i mean not
1: a happy mm. callback
2: not at all uh, after a pretty heavy morphine addiction throughout her life that only got worse in her old age, Chanel dies in 1971 in Switzerland. In terms of the legacy, to this day, it's estimated that every 30 seconds a bottle of Chanel Number no. 5 is purchased. And the Chanel brand is obviously still uh, you know, alive and well today. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my research goes, they've never publicly addressed her Nazi past.
1: Wow. I am just shook to say the least i'm very shook i think one good takeaway other than learning about chanel's involvement with the nazi party just because that is something we should definitely know Mm -hmm. is that this is perhaps a cautionary tale that if you're going to celebrate any kind of icon celebrity historical figure i think it's very important to try to have as much information you can on that person. To also be fair, you know, that book, our main article, was only published in, what, 2011, 2012? Because mm-hmm. the files were only released in 2011. 2011. So I think the book was published in 2012. So now information is just starting to, I think, become more known? Right, but the Chanel brand, I mean,
0: just the fact that that they've ignored their founder so much...
1: Right, um, it's is, is really fascinating
0: and in even in 2011 I mean nobody no other fashion house or anyone who worked with Chanel I mean thought or, or I guess this was maybe this was known and because we live in that consumerist society we we've just ignored it. it you know
1: mm-hmm. it's just crazy because mm-hmm. a lot of people quote her you know we were looking mm-hmm. through that book that we found with all these Chanel quotes and people have pictures or posters of her in her house or they use not even the the name Chanel they use her name Coco Chanel as a means of decoration and if you're going to do that you know again it's fair to say like again like you might not have known you know Mm -hmm. whatever but as soon as you listen to this podcast get rid of your Coco Chanel decor (laughs) yeah I just think it's it's just crazy I'm like I'm having a hard time kind of wrapping my brain around this but if, if you're going to quote her if you're going to have some kind of poster on her, on her if you're going to have a coffee book on your table that uses her name just think about it before Mm -hmm. you use that as decoration or using that for a conversation piece and make sure that you are able and have the ability to have a constructive conversation about her
0: right and you know in terms of visual culture too, fashion i mean we talked a little bit about this with the judy chicago episode Mm -hmm. how art and fashion are clearly just you know one in the same I think it's an important discussion to be had and it's something that Gianna and I have talked a lot about lately, you know, kind of going back to what we said earlier, that separation of the art from the artist, I think is possible, but when you're thinking about those cute kind of knickknacks and decor and posters or prints that you can buy at places like TJ Maxx, you know, how we are unconsciously buying and taking in aesthetically pleasing images of Coco Chanel, and kind of glamorizing her and her beauty as a person. And, and I think there's potential for that to be separated from the Chanel brand. And, and, and the Chanel brand, we see advertisements and clothing and there's kind of a different, I think the Chanel brand and the fashion house is different separate or can be separated from her problematic past just like anything else i mean i think there's a way to navigate that but you can't navigate that without acknowledgement if we're talking about her why are we continuing to see images and glorifications of her Mm -hmm. and her i guess her prose in a way the way she lived her life i you know Mm -hmm. i would never now think of Coco Chanel. Even in that, you know, we were talking about how she broke gender norms with her fashion. That is still not a feminist icon right. that I want to think about. So, I mean, do we know anything about the brand today? Who the brand is led by? I know, Jules, you said they haven't really talked about addressing Chanel's past. But is it like, do we think it's a good company kind of moving forward, or
2: perhaps um, it was led by? Carl Lagerfeld, who died, mm-hmm. you know, I want to say a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he had his problems, obviously. So a lot of people had issues with him as well, especially when he died. A lot of people were, like, you know, memorializing him. Mm-hmm. And then there was a few who stood out and said, well, he did
1: this and this. Wow. Mm-hmm. So
2: right now, I, I'm i not sure. But mm-hmm.
1: again, and I think it's hard to navigate that kind of conversation when, again, the establishment and the brand itself hasn't helped us in any way because they haven't addressed that. And that's where it's hard because I I want to have an informed conversation about what the brand stands for today. And Mm -hmm. I don't know.
0: Right. And I think about, you know, celebrities who, you know, could be problematic, but I do feel like there are celebrities that I love and that I admire who are, definitely sporting the Chanel brand or, you know, you see ads for it. And now I'm going to think differently about the celebrities who work with the ads or, you know, who work with the company. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just, oh man, this is so exciting. And I'm so glad to know more about the history of fashion because in art history, I mean, I never was able to take a fashion class because it was in a separate department. Um, It wasn't in the art department, but Jewel, we'll have to have you on again. And I know we I think we have a little bit of time. You had also talked about the kind of connection to Givenchy and the little black dress. I know you talked about how Chanel is kind of quoted with being the inventor of the LBD. So a woman who
2: contributed to the craze of the LBD was Audrey Hepburn. And a fun fact about Audrey Hepburn and the LBD is that One, she loved working with Givenchy, who uh, created an LBD look for Breakfast at Tiffany's and Sabrina. Mm -hmm. But something interesting about the movie Sabrina was that costume designer Edith Head was under contract to make the costumes for Sabrina. But Audrey Hepburn wanted her friends Givenchy to do the costumes instead. Mm. So the studio said, okay, you can have Givenchy do the costumes, but you have to pay for them out of pocket. And Edith Head gets all of the credit. So Givenchy and Audrey Hepburn both agreed to that. Mm -hmm. Edith Head designed the costumes for Audrey Hepburn in the movie Sabrina before Sabrina's makeover. So if you've ever seen Sabrina, Mm -hmm. she's the chauffeur's daughter. She looks kind of dowdy in the beginning, and then she gets a makeover when she moves to France. So Edith Head created the costumes for the dowdy Audrey Hepburn, (laughs) but Givenchy created all of the beautiful costumes for Sabrina after her makeover, including the LBD. And... Mm. Edith Head went on to win the Oscar for this film and gave zero credit to Givenchy and did not mention them in the acceptance speech. But, you know, who do we remember today? Givenchy or Edith Head? It's more Givenchy in the mainstream. Yeah.
0: This is so interesting. Lots of drama
2: in the fashion industry.
0: I love it. I'm here for it. And I'm also, like, I'm excited to keep thinking about fashion as, like, an aesthetic part of visual culture and... Keep you know I think it should be included more in art history than it is. There are a few artists that we can definitely talk about in the future who whose artworks are on display in art museums as art, not mm-hmm. necessarily as fashion. When you mm-hmm. think about kind of textiles and things like that, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm really really thankful that you were able to join us today.
1: I and know. you. So happy to be here. Yes, we just love you so much and we're so excited that the art pop tarts finally got to meet you <laughs> you quoted a book earlier again our main source that i just wanted to talk about again it's called sleeping with the enemy coco chanel's secret war by hall Hal von excuse me which was again published in 2012 it is a really fantastic book with these amazing sources and if you guys are interested And again, this was just a short kind of compressed history of everything that book talks about. Please give it a read if you're interested. As always, thank you all so much for listening. You can email us about anything at artpoptalk at gmail.com. Any reason at all. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and listen anywhere you get your podcasts.
0: Yes, and don't forget we are going to be posting images of the stickers and magnets this week. So... Take a look at those, and they will be ready for purchase next Tuesday. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.